Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Hello. Today's topic, Green Lantern, the film based on the DC Comics character of the same name. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. We will indeed. I watched this movie, Gold Class, at the movies. I was so excited. I went into your shop, Comic Zone, here in Perth. I bought two Green Lantern movie t-shirts. I bought all the tie-in comics. I was so deep in merchandise for this movie. And then I watched it. I bought no more merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm tipping my hat early, but I've got so much merchandise for yeah. this movie. Yeah, I remember we got the the Green Lantern film prop replica lantern with the ring. Fortunately, I didn't go that far. Yeah, it didn't last long because, again, it came out into the store before the film came out, and Green Lantern at the time was such a huge character, probably the biggest uh, comic book that DC had at the time with Jeff John's run and the hype could not have been bigger for this film again I bought so much merchandise yeah before we get into the movie though let's talk a little bit about Green Lantern the character we'll just touch upon a little bit his first appearance the very first Green Lantern character was Alan Scott not Hal Jordan who we get in this movie Scott was created in 1940 by Martin Nodell and usually fought common criminals in Capital City and later Gotham City with the aid of his magic ring. Yeah. So Alan Scott wasn't a space cop. It wasn't until John Broom and Gil Kane reinvented the character as Hal Jordan in 1959 and shifted the focus of Green Lantern stories from fantasy to science fiction. Other notable Green Lanterns include Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and Carl Rayner. So that first Green Lantern, Alan Scott, he came around during the golden age of comics. Yeah. And then Hal Jordan was the Silver Age, and it's when we got the reinvented Flash, Barry Allen, and various other characters that were more sci-fi based. Yeah, because with the Alan Scott Green Lantern, as you said, it was a magical ring. The guy who created the comic, the character, he got the idea in the New York subway when you still had a person who physically, like, signaled that the track was clear and they had two lanterns, one red for stop, Ah. one green for go. And that seeing that green lantern is literally where he got the idea for the character. And initially it wasn't actually a green lantern. It was... Uh, some other artifact and when he when alan scott found it he was given the knowledge to mold it into the lantern and with an associative ring and its weakness was it would not work on wood so even back in the 40s there had to be you know a, a a a weakness to the ring's abilities well that's a bit silly wood saying that though hal jordan his weakness wasn't wood It was the colour yellow. Yes. Thanks to Jeff Johns, though, years later, he did... uh, What was his first... It was Green Lantern Rebirth, wasn't it? That was his first first Green Lantern story. And he explained it as Parallax, who we... Oh, wow. We do get Parallax in this movie. (laughs) We'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Parallax is a fear entity and defeated by the Green Lanterns and the Guardians years ago... Parallax was trapped inside the central battery power or the central battery on Oa. Yeah, which uh, is where all of the uh, green energy for all the rings for the core takes their main uh, power from. Like, it's all siphoned from that main battery. So the fact that there is a fear demon, fear being having the color of yellow, meant they had this one weakness to yellow. The Johns did a really good way of explaining the silly weakness of yellow. Yeah, and that once they understood what caused the problem, they could train themselves to overcome that so eventually they could work on yellow um, because he had explained while everyone was gone, there was Kyle Rayner was 
after the Green Lantern Corps had been killed off. By Hal Jordan. By <laughs> Hal Jordan. <laughs> As Parallax. Yeah. Like, Too confusing to get into here. Yeah. Why then did the last of the Green Lanterns, who didn't have a ring, calling himself Ion, how come he could work, use his green energy on yellow? So Jeff Johns wisely writing down notes like, doesn't work on yellow, question mark. Ion works on yellow, question mark. Doesn't have a ring, question mark. He's like, this. what the hell were they thinking in the 90s when they came up with this stuff? And he somehow, in a six-issue storyline, explained all of it without it feeling like he was talking down to the reader. For me, Green Lantern Rebirth is perfection. Yeah. I've got it in single issues. I've got multiple versions of it in trade, and I've also got the absolute hardcover edition. I love Green Lantern Rebirth. I've been a big fan of Jeff Johns since reading that book, and I have bought every Jeff Johns Green Lantern story, either in single issues or in trade, and to this day, I'm a big Green Lantern fan because of Jeff Johns. Yeah, and he he is known to do that with a character where... A character's unloved. Uh, they've they've been built up with uh, multiple reboots and rehashes, and have gotten kind of goofy. He's the the uh, writer, especially for DC, that you put him on the book, and he will untangle the problem and sort it out. And he's done that for multiple characters. He did it for the Legion of Superheroes in three issues or four versions of them. And that was part of a Superman story, wasn't it? That was the Christ uh, Infinite Crisis. Ah, oh, right. There was a three-issue story. That's right. He did that after his run on Superman, which was a fantastic run as well. Yeah. Uh, But with his work on Green Lantern specifically, it is now the, the, you could call it the Bible. It is the the groundwork from which all other Green Lantern stories have to emerge. I think that's the most we've talked comics on this podcast. (laughs) Let's, Let's talk the Green Lantern movie. The film stars Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, Peter Sarsgaard, Mark Strong, Angela Bassett, and Tim Robbins. I think you'll agree. Strong cast. Absolutely. There's not one weak link amongst them. No, no. They're they're all known as leads in their own right. uh, And here they are in an ensemble for a superhero film. The film first entered development in 1997. Progress remained stalled until Greg Berlanti was hired to write and direct in October 2007. Martin Campbell was brought on board in February 2009 after Belanti was forced to vacate the director's position. This was 2011 when we got this movie. Since then, I think like a year later, Greg Belanti gave us the Arrowverse. Yeah. So I think this movie failing big at the box office yeah was a good thing for him so he was able to get out of the way although his name is still attached i think as a producer and certainly he contributed to the story yeah also yeah it also says written by greg Belanti and his producing partner mark guggenheim that's right you know this movie was written by a lot of people i think it's like six people accredited and that's gotta give red flags yeah. When there's that many writers, especially that many writers that they're going to give credit because ordinarily you would get rewrites and then maybe it's the final version or the person that contributed the most would actually get the credit. But for them to say, yep, these six people wrote the movie. Yeah. And I do believe there are actually more writers attached to this who were not credited. I think wow. in the end it got up to 11. You know, I did read somewhere that the cut of the movie isn't the director's cut. The movie that we got in cinemas is not the movie directed by Martin Campbell. He had a very different vision in mind for a film and he didn't get the final edit. Yeah. Yeah, because Martin Campbell, am I right? He was the director of James Bond Casino Royale. More credit than that. So not only did he launch Daniel Craig as James Bond, he launched Pierce Brosnan as James Bond with... Goldeneye. Yeah. He gave us two fantastic Bond films. He gave us The Mask of Zorro, yeah. which is a fantastic Such reinvention a of Zorro with Antonio Banderas. Fantastic movie. So this guy has got so many good credits to his name. 
Green Lantern happened, and I don't know what he's been doing recently. I have not seen his name. I did do another check on IMDb, and I believe on the director's side, there's like one other thing since this film. It literally killed his career. Something else that this film did. It was after Avatar, 3D conversion during post-production. Yeah. This movie does not benefit from being in 3D at all. No, and on paper, it looked like it should. I mean, Given yeah, the nature of his abilities. Solid, like constructs. Wow, they will look great in 3D. And I watched it in 3D, and it felt lost on me. Yeah, yeah because it was a post-conversion job. And the point of 3D is you have to be planning it from the get-go. You have to get your 3D shots on location using 3D cameras and you have to understand in terms of when you're making the special effects how you're going to make them work because it is uh, it is an expensive process to put on a film it's 50 million dollars on top of your regular production budget as a post conversion and because of avatar like you said this was very commonplace at this time where oh we'll slap a a, a 3D conversion on top of it but the big difference, obviously, James Cameron shot a 3D movie. Yeah. Big difference. Green Lantern was released on June 17th, 2011 and received generally negative reviews. Most criticised the film for its screenplay, inconsistent tone, choice and portrayal of villains and its use of CGI while some praise Reynolds' performance. And he is a good Hal Jordan. Yeah. For the most part. I think what I did read... Director Martin Campbell wanted Bradley Cooper for the lead yep. and never really got... He never really let go of that casting. Yeah. So I think there were quite a few clashes on set and maybe Reynolds were made to do more takes than he would have liked. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that being... Because it was... Ryan Reynolds was signed on to be The Flash. He was supposed to be in a Flash film because that is his favourite DC character. And... There was a there's a short list of names, none of which were Ryan Reynolds, and at the top was Bradley Cooper, and everyone was talking like, yeah, Bradley Cooper would be perfect, he'd be perfect, he'd be perfect, and then the next week when they're like, all right, we're going to announce it, and everyone's sitting there waiting to hear Bradley Cooper's name, out came, came Ryan Reynolds, who I believe even he was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm the Flash. Yeah, it was a bit confusing for everybody, I think. Other names thrown around at the time, we had Chris Pine, Sam Worthington. Obviously, Worthington had just had Avatar, so he was pretty big yeah. at the time. Uh, Jared Leto mentioned Cooper already. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Uh, what's the guy from Beverly Hills Now 2 and 0? Brian Austin Green. Yeah. He he campaigned for it. Like he, he, won, he campaigned he for it, and he had been uh, on the Terminator TV series, the Sarah Chronicle. Was not half bad. No. <laughs> that's actually okay. But yeah, so he was a big, long-time Green Lantern fan, and he was campaigning, but he, like everyone else, lost out to Reynolds. The movie underperformed at the box office, grossing $219 million against a production budget of $200 million due to the film's negative reception and disappointing box office performance. Warner Brothers cancelled any plans for a sequel, instead opting to reboot the character in the DC Extended Universe line with the yet-to-be-filmed <laughs> Green Lantern core movie. Yeah, they're saying that it will be Hal Jordan and John Stewart in that movie and refer to it as being Lethal Weapon in Space. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that movie. Yeah, that sounds great. And this not only uh, killed the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, it also put back the entire DC live-action film slate for a few years. Well, it was two years until Man of Steel, but it wasn't really until Batman v Superman that we first got our glimpse of a DC extended universe. Yeah. After the fact, Snyder came out and said that at the beginning or early on when we see Clark as an adult in Man of Steel and he gets washed up, he's said to have been rescued by Aquaman, but it's all off camera. Yeah. I'm not sure if I quite buy that. No. So Man of Steel, for me, that's not where the DCEU started. It was Dawn of Justice. Yeah. On TV, we got one Green Lantern series, and I think it was intended to tie in with the movie. It, not necessarily a shared universe, 
but it was like, hey, listen, we've got this big budget Green Lantern movie. Let's put something on TV. And it was a Bruce Timm style animation. And in that we had Josh Keaton voicing Green Lantern. Yeah, and we had uh, just before it as well, there was the uh, Green Lantern animated film was it Secret Origins? For, and uh, it was... Emerald Knights. Emerald Knights. That was, a, that was an origin... Yeah, okay. So th- that probably would have tied more in with the movie. Yeah, because it was Nathan, Nathan Fillion. Fillion. Right, that's right. Okay, so we got the, the Ryan Reynolds live-action movie, the Nathan Fillion animated movie, which was more of a anthology series, wasn't it? Where yeah. it was like maybe six stories that was merged into one ongoing story yeah as we said they were going big on green lantern and then the tv series then they were spending more time on world building so we were introduced to the red lantern Corps led by atrocitus as well as the manhunters guy gardner appears as a reoccurring character while john stewart is mentioned and alan scott is alluded to so we get more of the core members at least reference to in that series. Yeah, and the idea with that is how is having to investigate something on the far reaches, like oh, on his own, no backup. He's got a uh, an intelligent ship that itself is powered by a Green Lantern battery, so that's how he can stay charged, even though he's too far away to charge himself. Uh, and he's working his way back towards regular sector space, but it worked. It was really well done. And I was really enjoying it, really keen for the second season, and we never got it. Got cancelled. And we do see other characters as well, like Kilowog, Guardians of the Universe, Carol Ferris, Salak, Saint Walker, uh, Silius Zox, I believe is a new character they introduced. Yeah, yeah. It was a strong series, but I do think this movie failing, merchandise not selling, did play into the cancellation of the animated series. Yeah, unfortunately. The film tells the story of Hal Jordan, a test pilot who is selected to become the first human member of the Green Lantern Corps. Hal is given a ring that grants him superpowers and must confront Parallax, who threatens to upset the balance of power in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, and when the movie opens, they spell all of this out for you. There is an opening monologue uh, delivered by uh, Jeffrey Rush literally explaining who the Green Lantern Corps are and what they do and who Parallax was. Apparently, there's a version of the movie where we're shown and not told. That's a better way to go. Yeah. I've never been quite sure... Is Jeffrey Rush doubling up as both narrator and character Tom R. Ray, or is Tom R. Ray the Green Lantern doing the narrating in the beginning? I've never quite known. <sighs> no, I've I always took it as he was the narrator first and then, and also Tom R. Ray. Right, okay. But it could also be that Tom R. Ray is narrating because again, this is take this is having to do a, a jump from the comics. In the comics, Tomar Ray, or it's not even Tomar Ray, it's a different character, but they're like the chronicler on Oa, the homeworld of the Green Lanterns. It's just a confusion that didn't need to happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, okay, basically. So, so we're both confused by that. So let's start with Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and then we can work our way through the rest of the cast. I think we've spoke to his character so far. For the most part, we like what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very Ryan Reynolds performance, but it fits the character. I mean, most performances now are Ryan Reynolds performances, aren't they? Like yeah. He, he, he tends to lean towards more of an exaggerated version of himself now. In more, yeah. More often than not, like even when he's doing like promos or his interactions online, he's very Deadpool most of the time now. Which yeah. is like extreme Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds turned up to 13. And you know what? I like it. <laughs> I do like it, but you're right. I think in this movie, we are, it's creeping in, isn't it? We're getting a lot of Ryan Reynolds in this character. Yeah. And maybe that's what Martin Campbell wasn't liking because 
they've essentially hired Ryan Reynolds to be Ryan Reynolds, and maybe that's not what Campbell wanted. He wanted more Hal Jordan than Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, he was he was overruled by the the Warner Brothers top brass. And like, you know, so much time's been removed from this movie, but Reynolds publicly speaks out against this movie and refers to it as not being a nice experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has the platform to do it. And showing his success with Deadpool and with other films, you know, people are going to listen to him like, yeah, yeah, like, I can't say what went wrong here because when I was left to my own devices, I had a massively successful film. I know what I'm talking about. I mean, Deadpool came out five years after Green Lantern. And in that movie, he begs for his costume to be neither green nor animated. Yeah. I mean, not subtle. No. <laughs> we, know, we know exactly what he's, what he's talking about yeah. there. But he did meet his wife, yeah. Blake Lively, making this movie. So if anything, he's he got met some, his wife. Yeah. He met yeah. his wife. Lively plays Carol Ferris. She's the vice president of Ferris Aircraft and a long-time love interest of Reynolds. Yeah. So pretty much what we get in the comics, only she doesn't have black hair, but that's fine. Yeah, and I remember uh, before the film came out, uh, listening to an interview with Blake Lively, and she was talking about how much effort they're going into this movie. Uh, before they actually went to the point of dyeing her blonde hair, they had literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of different hair colours which they played to different lighting to figure out which was Carol Ferris brunette. She was like, this was just hair colour. Why didn't they just put brunette in my hair and let it be? But, but no. Carol Ferris has black hair. Yeah. Why are they trying, trying so hard to make it the right tone of brown? I believe it was to go with her tan. You know, you, they, wanted, they didn't want it to look like they had just dyed some regular girl's hair. They wanted it to be a natural looking hair tone and I mean, something that yeah. would match her skin tone as well. Which is why they spent months looking at hair colors. So much of the budget. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just which is that. yeah, which is funny because if they had just as Ryan Reynolds had suggested, made a physical costume, the, they could have saved a ton of the budget on this movie. I mean, there is a worry with going black, just having someone look like Morticia Adams. So yeah, that's why they didn't want to go in that direction. In the comics, Carol Ferris became Star Sapphire. In the film, Carol's flight call sign is Sapphire. And the Star Sapphire logo can be seen on her helmet as she flies her jet. So maybe, I mean, they're teasing it there. So if this film was a success, maybe we would have got her in costume, which could have been what enticed her to the project in the first place. Yeah. You will be the damsel in the first movie. Although, you know, she's the vice president and she's Hal's boss. But at the same time, she does still need to be rescued by Green Lantern. Yeah. So maybe in later films, we'd have got to see her as a villain. Maybe she'd have turned heel. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there could have been more to her part. This was also her supposed to be breaking out from TV into film as well. That's right. She did, What was it? Gossip Girl. Yeah. She did one of those. There's a line in this movie. I've lived by Lively. I've seen you naked. You think I wouldn't recognize you because you covered your cheekbones. Love that line. It's so perfect. She's known him a whole life. He shows up wearing a domino mask <laughs> and he's like, how did you know it was me? She's like, how? Yeah. <laughs> that I really liked. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pointing out the ridiculousness of a domino mask, which I love. I think domino masks look great. But in terms of efficiency, they're never going to work. But this particular relationship, childhood friends, they were once lovers. In other, you know, superhero stories, the the damsel and the hero, they don't necessarily have that history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I like the fact that straight away, she saw through. Yeah, yeah. Saw through the disguise. And he's doing his, like, Batman voice. We've got Peter Sarsgaard as Dr. Hector Hammond. He was supposed to be the big bad in this film, and it wasn't going to be until the third act that you got to see it was Parallax who was pulling the strings. 
Yeah. Whereas the way this movie was cut and released was shown straight away that Parallax is... It looks... Oh, man, the, the opening of this movie is just terrible. You mentioned the voiceover, but the visuals, the look of Parallax, which in this movie has taken over the body of a guardian of the universe. Yeah. And that's why it looks like a guardian. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the big head and but stuff. The, but uh, it, only, oh, only when you first find him, once he gets out, he be- makes the cinema sin of being a large amoebas cloud. It's ridiculous. It's Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, all over again. I can't yeah. remember which one came first. I think Silver Surfer, Surfer yeah. came first. Yeah. But nobody wants to see that. But the opening of this movie, you're like, oh, okay. It looks like a video game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 2011, it was less obvious, but the the special effects have not dated well. Oh, not at all. There's some moments where the suit kind of looks okay. Yeah. The mask never looks no, okay. Never. The mask just does not look okay at all. We'll get to the costume. Yeah. <laughs> into the podcast. Uh, Mark Strong as Sinestro. I mean, this is a really good Mark Strong. And I would say, out of the movie, Sinestro is the one character that comes away looking the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was a no-brainer when they cast him. Uh... It was a no-brainer when you saw the character designs and uh, beforehand, and in the movie, his is flawless. It's why, again, its failure at the box office was so frustrating because they had the post-credit tag. In a DC movie, before Zack Snyder got on board, they had post-credit tags, and it was a Sinestro-centric post-credit tag as well. And it just... Well, he has been, he has everything he has everything you needed to make Sinestro work on screen. And it's him putting on a yellow ring and embracing Parallax and he gets the Sinestro core costume from the comics. Watching at the time, that tease had me excited. So I didn't necessarily enjoy the movie for the most part, but that post credit scene, wow, had me really excited. Yeah. But when you go back and watch it now, him wearing that costume really dates the movie because the Sinestro core is no longer a thing. Yeah. Sinestro is back to wearing his classic costume. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, But it's at the time, if they'd have done a sequel, Sinestro core war would have been the way to go. Yeah. It could have been Green Lantern's Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it never happened because they spent so much money on... Blake Lauder's hair colour. <laughs> and the 3D conversion. That yeah. had to play into them going over yeah. budget. Yeah, yeah. From yeah, from being a $150 million movie or a $200 million movie. I mean, like I said, $50 million on just the conversion alone. We've got Tim Robbins as Senator Hammond. So he's the father of Hector Hammond. Yeah. He doesn't get a first name. It is Senator. <laughs> Senator or Dad Hammond. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I have nothing else written down here. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's all he's credited as. And you know what? Tim Robbins comes in, does his thing, leaves. That's it. I've got nothing more to say. Yeah, really. yeah, I mean, yeah. He's not, he's not necessarily bad in it, but he's certainly yeah. not given much to work with. No, no, he he's not giving the other actors anything to work with. At least not the person he should be, which is Hector Hammond, his son, played by Peter Skarsgård. Like. He, he, Peter Skarsgård really needs something to work off for his character's motivations to really land, and Tim Robbins is giving him nothing. Although, I can see what, what they're probably going for is it's not that his dad was a bastard; he didn't mistreat him any in any way. It was more your little comment here and there, not delivered with maliciously, but with malicious intent, and it was the uh the neglect of the father but it does come across as just tim robbins i said not doing a bad performance he's not just reading his lines but he is just tim robbins those my lines you got it i'm out you're right he's there as somebody for hector hammond to react to yeah we get amanda waller in this 
played Dr. by... Dr. Waller. That's right, played by Angela Bassett. Yeah. This is a very different Amanda Waller. At that time in the comics, Waller was known as The Wall. She is a large, imposing woman. Yeah. And they got Angela Bassett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which... When I heard her casting again, I was like, "Oh, Angela Bassett. Yeah, she's got some. She's got screen presence. She'd be great as Amanda Waller, because Amanda Waller is a, a no nonsense. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll walk up to Superman and spit in his face type. Like, she takes no crap. She gives no fucks. She has a a personal problem with superheroes thinking that they're weakening their uh, security because their people could become rely on them hence the suicide squad completely different film but that was her thing it was like what if we need to take down a superman type we need a group of people to take them down which is what the point of suicide squad is that is who amanda waller is supposed to be and that is not the way they wrote her for this film unfortunately not at all. Not at all. And you mentioned Suicide Squad there. Of course, that gave us Viola Davis yeah. as Amanda Waller. But saying that, she's not necessarily large like she is in the comics, but her performance got across that she's Amanda Waller for yeah. me. So you got a very strong performance from Viola Davis. Look back to the Smallville days. We've got Pam Greer yeah. as Amanda Waller. So I just think, you know, like I do like Angela Bassett. You know, we saw her... In another comic book movie, Black Panther, and she was good in that yeah, as the yeah. queen. Phenomenal. But in Green Lantern, not saying it's her fault, but her character, it, there was just no no meat on the bones. It was no. just very plain. She delivers lines, and she doesn't seem to have any authority as well. They, they completely miswrote the character for this one. Of course. Like you could not imagine that Amanda Waller leading the Suicide Squad. No. At all. Tahika Wahiti. Yep. He's got a hard name to say. Yeah. I, th- I think I say it different every time. He plays Green Lantern's friend, Tom. Yep. A character from the comics. Yes. Yeah. Who, uh, Tom Kaumaku. I believe he's supposed to be Hawaiian and they cast a Kiwi, but yep. whatever. Uh, he And he is Hal Jordan's best friend. When something goes wrong or something big happens, it's, Tom, that right, uh, how Jordan goes to when he's doing the test flight at the start of the movie and he's ballsing it up for in terms of what the company needs from it, but he's winning the flight. Tom is all like, Yes, yes, he's the one. That oh, wait, is. I mean, no, yeah. so so he's playing that character. Yeah, a lot of movies have that character. What I will say, what Taika is giving us in this. Unlike some of the other actors, he's doing more with the part than what I think he's been given. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he's and he also by by being opposite Reynolds, he's able to draw out some of the the nuance of the Hal Jordan character, which was one of the problems people had. Like when I when I did the rewatch for this podcast. I did watch the extended cut, which I had never seen before. And there are a lot more scenes and a lot more drawn out scenes, which one of the big criticisms of the movie at the time was they kept telling you what, how Jordan's motivations were and that he was a dick and like, oh, maybe responsibility means someone who's an asshole on their planet. But when you watch the extended cut, you get to see all of the things and all the nuance that make it work that were cut away to make space for time. Because what I will say is a lot of those scenes did ruin the pacing of the film. Right. Okay. So I have watched the extended cut once. It's when the the Blu-ray first came out, so years and years ago. So I've seen this movie three times now at the cinema, the extended cut on Blu-ray, and then I watched the standard theatrical cut for this review. Yeah, because it opens, the extended cut opens in 93 with the the actual test flight that killed Hal's father um which they keep cutting back to right, during the that's film right yes that is a big distinction because the opening of the movie isn't that horrible floaty cgi mess yeah yeah um but also uh when you get the opening monologue 
and Parallax Escape, and then you get cut to 1993 on Earth. Like, so has Parallax been out there in the universe for at what would have been at this point, you know, uh, 18 years without anyone noticing? Quite a long time. Yeah, I, which I think, again, is uh, one of the reasons that scene was cut, even though they reference back to it all the time throughout the theatrical cut. Uh, and other and you see ha- Hector Hammond's kid being ignored by his father. His father's always like, oh, yeah, young Hal Jordan. And that's what they were going to spend more time on, the relationship with the three as kids. Yeah. And that just, yeah, they didn't really touch upon that much no. other than the relationship between Hal and Carol. Yeah. But I think in the movie, they make reference, I think Parallax is meant to have been out there for five years i think it's something it's it's shorter than 18 it's about five years since him first accidentally being released and arriving on earth yeah that makes more sense oh i'm at the oh god i mean the special effects in this movie i mean you know i recently rewatched and did an episode on watchmen which came out two years before greed lantern and that has better effects in this movie yeah. So I don't think... And 2011 wasn't that long ago, really. No, no. But it just... It seems that the effects date this movie to the point where it looks even even older. Like, so many of these effects just don't hold up. And when you've got your big threat, when you've got your third act, and you've got Parallax, and it's getting closer to the city, and then Green Lantern just pushes him away or make him, <laughs> well he tricks him into chasing him yeah yeah and it's ah oh, it's just very anti-climatic yeah and what i will say is most of the like washman and things like that the special effects they use you know a lot of those scenes in the dark or at night whereas a lot of the green lantern stuff takes oh, place true. during the day but again it was two years newer and it has dated that much poorer it's a big it's a big thing to point out, especially since even the scenes in space, the special effects don't look particularly great. No, especially when you're looking at Green Lantern fly from a distance in space. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, Green Lantern flying on Earth or in space, when you've got distance, you can see that it's just CGI. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um Parallax, of course, voiced by Clancy Brown. Yeah, that's right. Lex Luthor from Superman, <laughs> the animated series. He's done other work like the Goldbergs and Highlander. Yeah. But I'll always know him as the voice of Lex Luthor. Man, he's got such a good voice. Yeah, I'll always remember him from Starship Troopers. Ah, yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, such a great... He's he's done a lot of great work. In fact, in he played a general in season two of The Flash and a live action series i can't remember the name of the general but plastique was the uh, villain of the episode right, okay uh, but yeah like you can't ask for better when you need a a, a voicey bassy villain clancy brown's a no-brainer unfortunately they didn't also get him in to play <laughs> a physical parallax because i think that would have improved it tremendously the... oh man his performance was just completely washed away by the visuals for me. Yeah. It wasn't until I saw his name in the credits. I I did not enjoy Parallax on screen at all. I mean, in the comics earlier, we were talking about how Parallax possessed Hal Jordan. Yeah. Not necessarily possessing Hal Jordan, but they could have had Parallax possess someone so they didn't have to solely rely on this messy CGI effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's poorly conceived. Uh, Ab and Sir, that we get at the start of the film... Played by Django Fett himself, Tamora Morrison. Yeah, and we'd later got to see him in another DC film, Aquaman. Yeah, which he gets to do a lot more with, uh, and he does a great job as Aquaman's dad. And you know what? He's a good Abinser. He is. He is. He was uh, one of the shining lights of the film. And he relied on prosthetics over CGI. So it took him 45 hours to have the, the makeup and the effects applied. But it's it's so much better. Yeah. There's a big difference in this movie when you're seeing Abin Sir as an alien and you're seeing Jeffrey Rush voicing an alien. You've got Killer Wog voiced by Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. And it's just their voices and a CGI effect. When it's an alien in prosthetics, 
He looks so much better. Yeah, and there's something for the actor to emote out of. There's something for the other actors to react to because it's physically in front of them, and it's believable because the makeup was really good. Uh, and an interesting idea as well, because Avancer in the comics was always like this kind of pink alien uh, that dies and gives Hal Jordan the ring. And their idea for this was he has pinkish, purplish blood, and uh, basically his skin is so transparent is to be basically see-through, where you can see his his tendons and That's his muscle right. definition. Yes. It looks great. And it's an ex- interesting explanation for his look. It was... Like, you needed this on all of the aliens, especially Parallax, your main villain. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, oh, God. Parallax ruins this movie for me. I'm yeah. just going to say it. Like, on years and years, I've told myself, it's not so bad. The, the movie's okay. The yeah. movie's okay. And doing this rewatch, and again, the fault lies mostly at Parallax. Yeah. I did not have an enjoyable reviewing of this movie. But there is merits, and Abinsir, the portrayal, the look of the character, Abinsir and Sinestro yeah, are two of the best things about this movie. Absolutely. And a lot of the movie, they're not in it. Yeah. <laughs> but they are they are the um, the best things. And mentioned Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog. I remembered liking the scenes on Oa. I think, oh, that was a particular highlight. Doing the rewatch, it's extremely rushed. And Green Lanterns, as quick as they enter, they exit. And then when you've got the big fight at the end, you've got the third act and Green Lantern's drawing Parallax away from Earth. And there's that bit with Sinestro when he's like, maybe we should just let Earth fall for the you know so we can save the rest of the galaxy or whatever. So you got Sinestro showing his colours a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. But Hal is pulling Parallax away, and just as he defeats them, or as he defeats Parallax, three lanterns show up. Sinestro, Tomare, and Kilowog. Yeah. And for late. Me, it's just not enough. <laughs> no. It's not enough. If anything, I know that it's Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, it's his movie. But I just feel as though they could have done a better way of showing the power of the core. Yeah. And having all the core turn up and for Hal to learn about teamwork. Yeah. By succeeding, by using teamwork, instead of like pushing himself to exhaustion, just like he did in the opening. And it's like, ah, so did he really learn anything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which was something that we noticed at the time as well. The bit, like... His training sequence in the movie maybe lasts 10 minutes. He has that cool scene with the machine gun. Oh, but the end, third act, he uses the big boxing glove. Classic Hal Jordan. But you're right, yeah, it was... I I mean, Rocky's got a quicker... or Rocky's got a longer montage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that was the thing is, it doesn't feel like a lot of time passes in this movie. I'm sure it's supposed to be like a month, but it feels like... He gets the ring, goes to Oa, is there for half a day, quits, goes home to Earth, and that was all his training. Can you remember Superman Returns, that big reveal, the big moment, you've got the baseball game, the shuttle, all of that, which for me is still the highlight of that movie. Yeah. It peaked early, but that's the best thing about that movie. The equivalent of that in the Green Lantern movie, racetrack. Helicopter. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's... It's just not... I mean, it's just not there. And Tom does have a bit of a joke with him, like, that's the best you could do. But that's, you know, characters having a bit of banter with each other. But as the audience watching it visually, like, and it just seemed overly complicated. It it did, yeah. He did not need to do that at all. No, no, like, a helicopter's out of control, it's falling... You just catch, catch it. Just catch it with a big green hand. Big green hand. <laughs> so I thought it at the time. I thought it on the rewatch. I'm like, the the overcomplication. In fact, if anything, he endangered more people by making the racetrack. Because people would have been fucking confused. Yeah. <laughs> like, which way do we run? Yeah. This No matter where I run, this track seems to appear out of nowhere. What is happening? And this Hot Wheels <laughs> twirling bird of terror chases me. And then... 
Carol's crushed. Not really. Yeah. He saved her. Yeah, well, that scene did... That could not have been the scene that they planned from the start. No. His big reveal, so. it had to be more than that. Okay, we've talked green ring, giant green hands. Let's talk his actual costume. The uniform is portrayed in computer-generated imagery. This was a creative move by the filmmakers who wanted the uniform not to be a real cloth outfit, but a energy construct generated by the lantern powering. I get all that. Doesn't work for me. No, no. When they said it initial, when they said it, every single comic book fan went, "What?" It's like. Oh, oh, because it's supposed to be an energy construct like the things they use to fight people with. We're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We read the comic, guys. You don't need to explain it to us. But it's drawn like fabric. It tears like fabric. It has. It can be repaired by willpower, but it tears and has the properties of fabric. And Green Lantern's costume, like a lot of other superheroes' uh, classic costumes, is one of the easiest to render in three dimensions. And in fact, so much so that the, the different Earth Green Lanterns all have a different look and they all look super easy to make. How Jordan's is a classic, like, onesie that with gloves. You've got Guy Gardner's, who's like the vest jacket with a big collar. And then you've got... John Stewart, which also tends to be a onesie. And then you've got Carl Rayner, who does kind of his own thing with a weird metal face mask. And I thing. always liked that because I you know, came to comics in the 90s. I used to read some old annuals from the 80s, but reading single issue comics, a lot of my knowledge started with the 90s. So I loved that Carl Rayner design. Yeah. And I really liked it when they brought it back in recent years. Yeah, but even... Even with the, each one is still a different color. Like there's more green on Hal's than there is on John's. John's is mostly black and the green just comes across the shoulders. Hal's is the, a full green torso with white gloves for some reason. And Kyle's is all green torso, black pants, but his lantern symbol comes down as a stripe down the one side of the chest. They're all individual because it reflects the individual personalities of the person wearing the ring and fabric. They're all fabric. <laughs> I always liked with Kyle as well that he had like um, like emerald gauntlets and his mask was like made out of emerald. Yeah. Always liked that as a design choice. Yeah, and we just don't get that here. You know, from this movie, the only thing that survived or you got to see appear anywhere else when DC Comics did the Flashpoint crossover or tie-in comics, Abin Sir and Sinestro wore what looks like the movie versions of the costumes. Yeah. Outside of those, I think I think there were like three-part specials. Outside of like a handful of comics, nothing from this movie went any further than just being this movie. We've got tie-in video games, which I excitedly bought for the PlayStation 3. Not a good game, no. but I bought it. But yeah, other than this movie, and I think there were some tie-in comics. In fact, they were, I bought them. There were tie-in comics. But this movie started and finished. Yeah. Good soundtrack, though. Bloody good soundtrack. Composed by James Newton Howard. I would say this is one of those cases where the soundtrack is better than the film. Yeah, one note I did make is, uh, especially at the end, uh, after the defeat of Parallax, and they're kind of, uh, they've come in and rescued her, passed out Howard Jordan to take him back to Earth. They start to play the, the Green Lantern theme. Man, is it similar to what you hear in Iron Man 1. Oh, wow. And that's a good few years before. Yeah. Like the 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 sort of fanfare, yeah, the way I the beat, right. it like for a second I took a double take while I was watching that scene. Like, is that the Iron Man theme? You what know, is happening here? You mentioned fanfare there. This movie does have a fanfare, and it's something that I've mentioned many times now. Like recent comic book movies, whether they be, I mean, Marvel have got better, but Marvel DC, you don't get those big fanfare themes like the big heroic theme and yeah. outside of superheroes think back to 
Indiana Jones. Like, you, you feel like you're a part of the adventure. You're swept up by John Williams and his Raiders theme. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's such an easy audio cue that doesn't impose itself on the action, but it clues the audience into something that's about to happen. Like, James Bond has his theme. There's the Mission Impossible theme. It's... It, it doesn't intrude, and then you don't have to physically yell it at the audience, but it does immediately set our minds into like, oh, we're getting to that point now. You know, I... Heard, I know who's coming because I heard the theme. Yes. I heard a term recently, I'd not heard it before, and it's Mickey Mousing in film composing, and it's where the music is matching the action. Yeah. So, yeah, and apparently... I listened to a breakdown of Williams' Raiders score, and that does a lot of Mickey Mousing. Yeah, and there's a reason why he's one of the best. Oh, I mean, for sure. But with this soundtrack, James Newton Howard, he worked on The Dark Knight with Hans Zimmer. I love the Nolan scores. that yeah. They are so good, especially The Dark Knight. Such a good score. Uh, but this guy, uh, James Newton Howard, he has been around for a long time. So, you know, he did Green Lantern. Yeah. He also did Pretty Woman in 1990. This guy, he's done so much. uh, King Kong, uh, The Bourne Legacy, Hunger Games, most recently, both of the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the movies. Yeah. Still going today, and I really do rate this score. You know what? It's up there with Sinestro and Abinsir as three of the highlights. And I've put the soundtrack... Back on my iPhone. Yeah. Back listening to it. I used to listen to it so much, and I'm I'm back in the world of the Green Lantern score. I love it. Yeah. It, it's especially effective uh, when Hal is trying to get the ring to work, and for the first time, it sort of possesses him, and he starts to say the famous uh, Green Lantern oath. The, the, the theme there is spot on. Oh, honestly, I cannot say enough good things about this score. It is so good. You know, we almost got some cameos in this movie because we mentioned that it was to be like the beginning of something. Yeah. An early draft of the script contained a cameo by Alan Scott, the first Green Lantern. We talked about him earlier. Scott was going to be the United States president and near the end would reveal his own past as a Green Lantern to Jordan and gave him his blessing. He was later revised to become an agent of the Checkmate Agency, who would approach and offer Jordan membership. Later drafts finally wrote him out of the film and replaced him with Amanda Waller. But this is where it gets really interesting. Alan Scott would have been played by Pierce Brosnan, who of course worked with Martin Campbell, Goldeneye. Oh, that would have worked really Pierce well. Pierce Brosnan as an aging Green Lantern? Yes. Yeah. But we didn't get any of that. Instead, we've got Angela Bassett as Amanda Waller. And at one point, Clark Kent was in the script. He had a cameo as one of the candidates considered to receive a power ring. But it was cut out because the filmmakers didn't want to depend on another superhero for its success. (sighs) And this has happened in the comics before. Even in the season 11 Smallville comics, Clark becomes a Green Lantern. Yeah. And it's happened in Elseworld stories, so it wouldn't have been the first time, yeah. but it would have been interesting. But if this came out in 2011, five years after Superman Returns, you think they'd have gone to Brandon Routh? Yeah, he was still under contract. somebody else. He was technically, yeah, he was definitely still under contract at the time, and they had no plans to do a different Superman, to my knowledge. And this is something that made it into the film. A central city sign can be seen. Yeah. Of course, central city, home of the Flash. Yeah. So the kind of, you know, they're in stages of introducing a world bigger than Green Lantern, but they pulled it right back and released a movie that just underperformed. Yeah. Which is a shame because the Titans TV show, by embracing the fact they're in an already lived in world, makes it feel like there's history and like there's something bigger going on. Not that you're being excluded from it, but it's there. Everything that they failed to do in this film. The disappointing performance of this film, I don't want to keep going on about it because, <laughs> you know, like this, this film has got so much stick 
over the years. But I'll, I'll continue. The disappointing performance of the film is occasionally a target of mockery. So I mentioned the first Deadpool movie earlier. Deadpool 2, in the post credit scene, it features Deadpool, who is also portrayed by Ryan Reynolds, time traveling to kill his own actor as he was reading the script for Green Lantern. And I remember watching it thinking, brutal. You know, I mentioned those two Green Lantern t-shirts I bought from yeah. Comic Zone. I was wearing one of them whilst watching <laughs> Deadpool 2 at the cinema and felt like a bloody idiot. <laughs> it's like he was aiming that gun specifically at you. And DC animated film Teen Titans Go to the Movies also make a reference to Green Lantern's disappointing films. So it's not just Fox, Marvel, Reynolds... DC themselves are saying, yep, we made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. I think this is potentially the, <laughs> the most negative discussion we've had on <laughs> Sounds Like Comics. With that, what is your rating out of five? Uh, ironically, it's still... Probably a three out of five. There are a lot of problems with this film. A lot. I mean, we've rattled off a bunch of them now. Uh, one of the big problems in terms of storyline is how, with his ring on Earth, is like, I'm going to go get some backup. Flies to Oa to appeal to them and say, definitely don't use that yellow ring. That's a bad idea. Also, can I get some help? And they say, no. He goes, then send me. You were already on Earth. <laughs> you didn't need their like okay to go back and save it. Like, but it was stupid. It annoyed me at the time. It continues to annoy me to this day. That being said, <laughs> with all of the problems, yeah. I still, <laughs> I still tend to enjoy watching this film. Oh, wow. I don't know why. Yeah, it brings a <laughs> smile to my face. I don't know if it's um. Mark Strong, or if it is just Ryan Reynolds, is watchable. And, you know, like, as every time... I, I can see the the potential this film had when I watch it. I'm like, oh, you had so many of the pieces in play. All you needed was a more competent script, and it would have gone there. Like, if you cut out Parallax entirely and just focus on Hector Hammond, if you refuse to do the the mirroring of whatever happened to Hal was happening to Hector at the same time, but in a negative way, and you let Hal stand on his own and film Hector separately as his own villain rather than a direct mirror of what was happening to Hal, and if you had spent more time on Owl showing the training, and if you had given him a freaking cos a costume that was physical and allowed him to, like act out of it like there's so many things but i still enjoy the film i de <laughs> never ever recommend it to anyone because it's almost like a guilty pleasure but it's I a still... three-star film <laughs> not gonna recommend you, you know what for reasons different to yours i'm also gonna come in at a three which i don't quite understand myself but i'm gonna credit the stars individually one to james newton howard one to sinestro and one to abinsir yeah, yeah. As I said, like there are, there are the uh, gleaming diamonds in the turd of this film. There is things to like, but overall, it's not a pleasant watch, start to finish. And and again, like if you're watching a movie, and let's say you've got just one problem with the whole movie, and that one problem is the villain, it's a big problem. Yeah, yeah, it is a big problem. And, and Parallax as a is a fear entity when it's possessing people can be used in such interesting ways like introduce Hal Jordan, tell his origin, establish him as a hero in maybe one, two movies, your third movie, which is usually where you're going to cap off your trilogy, have him turn bad, possessed by Parallax, and then have people screaming out for the fourth movie. Yeah. You yeah, couldn't absolutely. just build something. Or even if they just waited until the middle film of a trilogy, the second one. But even then, I think that's too early for him to turn same, bad. Same. Because uh, you're going to have... Because the other thing they do is, by the end, he's got the respect of Sinestro, but he's supposed to be his literal mentor. 
and the person who trains him and that he has he a lot of faith in. <laughs> and he's supposed to be basically his cop partner that in the second film when he turns on the entire core, there's a larger emotional betrayal because you're the one who trained me. Oh. I trusted you. <laughs> oh, wow. Traitor Rose, a traitor? <laughs> you're still um, still giving it a three? <laughs> I, I I am I am I said I, okay. one of the, one of the greatest experiences of my life at a cinema was we got the advanced screening for Green Lantern and after the film we stood in a big group of about eight of us tearing strips off the film and it was so enjoyable it it's one of those movies that everyone enjoys beating on and I for that it's a bit like The Room it's success as a crappy movie almost ex- equals its potential as a good one. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, uh, that's it for our episode all about Green Lantern. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> me for making you watch Green Lantern again. <laughs> as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.